Well, good morning again, everyone. We have reached the uh, bittersweet end of my first ever sermon series um, that I've, I've preached through, and it, it really has been um, just a wonderful opportunity to put together a sermon series and to preach through it. Um, and so just kind of in terms of where we've been, right? This, so the sermon series is entitled Simply Transformed, and we're talking about just that, transformation that um, I think it is simple. It's complicated in many ways, yes, but it also is um, simple, I think. And so that's what we've been t- discussing. And, you know, I've brought up several times the actual uh, English uh, um, definition of transformation, which is a thorough or dramatic change in the uh, form or appearance of. It's thorough, it's dramatic, and it's a change in, in form um, within us. It's not just this outwardly, I'm doing the right things. There's actually a change that happens within us. And so that's what we've been talking about um, throughout this sermon series. And where we've been, we, we started off in, talking about um, just um, in this idea of transformation, how we're called to be different from the world. There is a call for us to be different from the world. And so we discussed that, that topic and, and discussed um, just how we are called to be different from the world. It's not just about doing the right things, but if we, if we proclaim to be a follower of Jesus, then we should look a little bit different than those who aren't following Jesus. And in terms of, of the slide art, we use the chair to describe this idea and just to say, right, we have a chair right here. In that chair, what it signifies is our, our life direction, the decisions we make. And we're always kind of pitting back and forth between us being in the chair and God being in the chair. And so I asked you the question, who is in your chair? So that was the first week. The the second week, we discussed this idea of of be, simply just being with Jesus and how this is a way that we can actually pursue after transformation. To say, "I, I want to be a transformed person, and a way that I can do that is simply just to spend time with my God and my Creator. And so I'm going to do just that. And so if we were discussing it in the eyes of, of the chair that's right before us, are you sitting at Jesus' feet? Are you learning from him? Are you his disciple as he is your rabbi, your teacher? Are you soaking in everything that he has to offer you? Are you sitting at his feet? And in the third week, we talked about, last week, we talked about transformation itself, what it actually looks like to be a transformed person. What does that actually look like? And we use the story of a man who was possessed by many demons. And how as Jesus comes and he cures this man of his demon possession, there are kind of five images within that story that lend us to to see this is kind of what it looks like to be a transformed person. And I asked you during that sermon, are you then leaning on God's leg? Are you leaning on him? There's a lot of things that we can do in this life, and sometimes when we try to do it out of our own capabilities, we struggle. It's hard. We fail. But if we say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave this up to God, I'm going to lean on Him through this, and, and kind of lean on, and into His power, right? Amazing, amazing things can happen. And so that's where we were at last week. Now as we move into this fourth and final uh, sermon in this sermon series, we're going to focus on the idea of love. Now, love is a word that is thrown around a lot 
within our, 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 our religion, within Christianity. Love is kind of, if you've ever heard the term Christianese, right? Love can kind of be one of those words. It's thrown around so much within Scripture, within you know, how we teach each other to live, how we're interacting with each other, even when you're talking about ice cream, right? I love ice cream. I, I, I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't love mint chocolate chip ice cream, but I do love fill in the blank, right? Fill in the blank. I like sherbet a lot, right? Rainbow sherbet. But that's besides the point. But we're going to be talking about love this morning. Now, within that, I kind of wanted to open up with discussing how our culture kind of views love a little bit. Just a little bit. All right, this could be a really long topic. In fact, I could fill up the rest of this service just talking about how our culture views love and some of the struggles that we have because of it. But I want to focus in on kind of one idea. But our first point here is that love is grossly misused and misunderstood, is a grossly misused and misunderstood word in our culture. It is so misused and misunderstood in our culture. And where I'm coming from with, with that specific point, right? you might already have in your head ideas of how, yeah, I see how it's misused and how it's misunderstood, right? Where I'm coming from with that is for, for me, as a, a single guy, if you look at our culture, the movies that we watch, the TV shows that we watch, what, is, what are the headlines in the media what is on social media, right? Love is kind of reserved for a romantic relationship between people. That is what it's, what it's reserved for. And an example of what I, I would say with that, when I was in high school and even middle school, right, if I were to build up a close friendship with another guy and then say, hey, man, I, I love you, that would be met with jokes, that would be met with suspicions, with doubts, Right? Because in many of our minds, based on what we're fed from the media and social media, is that love is reserved for a romantic relationship. Now, us being Christians, I hope that we realize this couldn't be further from the truth, right? Love is, should be intertwined in every relationship that we have with people. But in terms of culture, that's what we're kind of facing in some ways. At least that was what I was facing in high school and middle school and even still struggle with today, right? So love is a grossly misused and misunderstood word in our culture. Nonetheless, though, love defines our culture even though it is misused and misunderstood. As I was practicing the sermon and thinking through this sermon, I, I tried to think of, of films and TV shows that don't at least have a side story that revolves around a romantic relationship, a love interest for the main character. There's very few in that, that at least I can think of, right? So the example that I, I was thinking of in uh, this way, how many of you are fans of James Bond? Okay. Now, how many of you are fans of Jason Bourne? Okay. I saw one hand for, for both of those, so that's awesome, right? But, so I, I, Jason Bourne is one of my favorite movie series of all time. And one of the reasons for that is because I watch James Bond, and if you're a James Bond fan, I apologize. I'm going to kind of um, talk a little bit of trash about him. But he, he's kind of, in some ways, a, a womanizer, right? I'm not a huge fan of that, <laughs> right? But with Jason Bourne, it's mostly purely about the action, right? 
All the, the fight sequences, all the things that he can do. Another reason I'm not a fan of James Bond is because he needs to have gadgets to be cool. Jason Bourne is just cool, right? He can do things with a pen that you wouldn't think of, right? Um, or a newspaper, for instance. Um, just cool in my mind. But even within those movies, there actually is a brief love interest. So then I was like, well, no. I, I was trying to think of a movie that doesn't involve a love interest. And I struggled to think of one. I really struggled to think of one. I know they're out there, and you're probably thinking of one right now. When I thought of one, um, that kind of the main characters, it's not about a romantic love interest. Uh, Remember the Titans was a really good one that I I had thought of. Um, Even within that, there's still love interests that are happening elsewhere. But love, it really, it defines our culture, even though it is misused and misunderstood. It really does. It's everything that we see. It's what the the news outlets assume that I want to know about. Like I get ads on social media like, hey, so-and-so, they broke up. And I'm like, well, I don't care. Thank you. Right? Or so-and-so, they got married. And I'm like, well, good for them. But how does that pertain to my life? But love, it defines our culture, even though it is so misused and misunderstood. It really is. Now, as we get into Scripture, love in Scripture, what we see... Um, the, the first point is kind of, it kind of links us to these first couple of points that we just went over. So let's read uh, Genesis chapter 3 here. It says this, When the woman saw that the, the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, "'Where are you?' And he answered, "'I I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid.'" And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from this tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. And so what we see here is that the concept of love has been misconstrued since the first relationship. It has been misconstrued since the first relationship. Regardless of how you view that interaction, regardless of how you view um, you know, genders within Christianity, regardless of how you view that, you can understand that, hey, that relationship is broken. Because of the fall, the relationship between man and woman is broken. Because of the fall, the relationship between man and God is broken. And so what we see is that love, it has been misconstrued since the very first relationship, right? You, you probably recognize sometimes in your life with those you care about most how you kind of tend to pass off blame sometimes and Adam and Eve do that wonderfully here, right? God goes to Adam, what, what have you done? He's like, it's not my fault, it's the woman's fault. And then God goes to the woman and says, it's not my fault, it's the serpent's fault, right? So they're passing off blame. But that, those relationships are, are broken, and that has led us into this, this world where we, we don't fully understand love. We just do not fully understand it. And how could we? 
We live in a broken world around other broken people, and loving each other is, is tricky, it's complicated, it's messy. It can also be really good. But they, they struggled with that. And from then on out, it was a struggle. And God goes on to, to mention some curses, right? He curses the serpent, he curses the woman, he curses the man. And it's just kind of further driving home the point that, hey, your relationships are going to be broken as you carry forward. Your relationships are going to be messy as you carry forward. But he doesn't just leave it there, right? Love is talked about throughout Scripture. It's focused in on so much throughout Scripture. Now as we turn to Titus, right? We're going to read uh, Titus 3 here. Right, Titus 3? Yes, Titus 3, verses 3 through 8. It says this, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior." So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Not just some people, but everyone. When I read this this Titus passage, man, I, I... I love this passage. <laughs> if if you, you know much about Paul, you kind of see this as a summary of basically all his letters. Right? To say that, hey, relationships, they're broken. They're messy. We went on and we hated one another. We were hated by others. There was hate everywhere. But God, God exists. And God sent his son to save us from these hateful relationships, to show us exactly what it looks like to love one another. And I love how he puts in here, and it's not based on what we have done. It's not based on what we have done. It's based purely on how God loves us. And if we acknowledge that, hey, we don't fully understand love, then that is hard for us to grasp. What do you mean it's not about what I do? Don't I have to earn that love from God? And that would be a heavy no. You do not have to earn that love from God. He loves you regardless. And that should lead us into living differently. But love, oh my goodness, the love of God is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. But what we see here is that love, it is demonstrated to us by God's great love for us. Right, if we want to learn how to love people and love people well and love people in the ways that we ought to, then there is no better example than our God and our Savior. And looking at what He's done for us, how He loves us through the brokenness, through the messiness. And it's hard for us to grasp. And I think that that, in a way, is kind of an encouraging thing to say just how great our God's love for us is that it's hard to understand. Let's move forward here to Romans 12, 
right? This is a pretty common, uh, there's a, a common verse in here in regards to transformation. But I also think there's a lot kind of around this verse that leads us into how we're supposed to live with others within transformation. So we're going to read this now. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace uh, given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. In our English translations of the Bible, there are some things lost every once in a while when you get one of those subtitles in there. Right, so when I was reading through this, you kind of read through the first couple of verses, and then there's a subtitle in there that kind of says, hey, we might be changing thought, when in reality, we're actually not. Because in between those first couple of verses and then the next verse, right, there is a word at the beginning of that, 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 that next sentence, for. And that word for is kind of a linking word to say, listen, these two ideas, they are connected. And so if we're talking about transformation, we should also be talking about how we treat one another in the church. To say that I am, I am devoted to you, right? The church is a body built up of many members, and we all have specific gifts and talents that we can offer. And the way that that works is, is this, I think, that love takes honest self-assessment. Love takes honest self-assessment. Because he also says, make sure you look at yourself with sober judgment, not thinking too highly of yourself than you ought to be, right? For talking about transformation, be careful not to think of yourself as like the greatest thing since sliced bread. I, I love that statement, sorry. That was another NASCAR reference in my head. I know it, it comes from a long time before NASCAR, but in my head, it comes from NASCAR. Anyway, right? But you've got to think of yourself in, in sober judgment to say, I, I'm not the greatest thing since sliced bread. I understand. I understand my value. I'm deeply, deeply loved by my God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, I understand that completely. But I also know that each and every person I, I meet in the church, they have gifts to offer, and I should devote myself, humble myself before them, right, to serve them, to loving them. And that's one of the things that love takes. It takes honest self-assessment. Because it's really hard to love someone else when we view them as less than us. It's really, really hard to love someone else when we view them as less than us. 
when we view them as equals, and maybe even I view them greater than, greater than I, it can be a lot easier to love them. Putting love into practice is difficult and hard, but it can be easier to do that when we view, the, view them as saying, hey, I'm viewing myself in sober judgment, and I want to devote myself to them and humble myself before them and serve them and love them. Now let's move forward to 2 Corinthians here. 2 Corinthians 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Right, one thing that love takes, love takes vulnerability because we are all broken and struggling to love others like Jesus loves others. Right, love takes vulnerability. If we recall um, the story with, with Adam and Eve, there was absolutely zero vulnerability happening in that moment. Right? They eat the fruit, they understand, I'm, I'm naked, uh-oh, that's not good. Right? When, I mean, if you think about it a little bit, they're married, so not a big deal. Also, God created them, so he understands what they look like and why they look like that. So there's not really a huge reason to be like, oh, geez, I'm naked, right? And I know that's a little bit awkward to talk about from the pulpit, but it, it, I think it reigns true a little bit that they were feeling shameful and nervous and scared over something that they didn't even need to feel those things over. They lacked any vulnerability in that moment. And then when you get to, to God saying, hey, wh- what, what happened? Why did you eat the fruit? Still, no vulnerability. Ni- neither of them said, yeah, I messed up. I sinned. I'm sorry. Both of them just passed off blame. They put up their guard. They put up their wall. Right? And vulnerability can be a tricky thing because we go through things in life that are hard, that are scary, that cause us to feel a certain way. And being open with those things with someone else can be really difficult. It can be really, really difficult. I know people who are spouses that struggle with that. I know people that struggle with that with God to say, yeah, I messed up, or yeah, I'm messing up in this area, and I don't know how to change that. I don't know how to fix it. So even further down the road, right, I'm not married, so... Who, who do I be vulnerable with? Well, I have friends. I have family members that I can say, hey, I'm struggling in this way. Hey, um, this, this is a way that I messed up, and I just wanted to talk about it with someone. Right? Relationships, they don't tend to continue to be built unless there is vulnerability there. So yes, love takes vulnerability. And it, it also takes a little bit of, of uh, discipline and understanding of what should I share with this person, Right? You probably won't go around sharing your deepest, darkest secrets with every, every person you meet, right? I just met someone in the grocery store. It was great. I shared my deepest, darkest secret with them. So, right? You probably won't be doing that. But at some point, it might be good to say, hey, I have this person that I've been friends with with many years. We're very close. I trust them very much. I might share this thing with them. It's going to be hard. I'm putting myself out there, and I, I could be hurt. But guess what? That's what vulnerability is. And what you might find out is, hey, that friendship that I've built up and we've been sharing things and supporting each other and loving each other, 
when I shared that thing, man, I saw the grace of Jesus in their response. Man, our relationship, it was even more deepened, and it's beautiful, and it's lovely, and I'm glad. So yes, love, it takes vulnerability. And it takes that because, guess what? In many ways, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We're all struggling to love others like Jesus would love others, aren't we? I acknowledge that for myself. I I struggle to love others the way Jesus would. And as we are in relationship with each other, we should be pushing each other towards loving others like Jesus would. To, to, To say, hey, you know, the way you love that person there, that was really good. Or, hey, the way you love that person there, or lack of love that person there, that was a bit of a awkward situation. It was a bit of a struggle, right? To build up these relationships with each other, to push each other towards loving others like Jesus would. And now, with Matthew uh, 22, it says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. Everything hangs on these two commandments. So what we see is that love should be the centerpiece of all of our relationships. Love should be the centerpiece of all of our relationships. Now, I I know this is a a church that's kind of in the country a little bit, and not everybody has neighbors like people do in big cities, right? Um, But there also might be some people, some neighbors that you might not know very well, right? Just to say, hey, I, I haven't really met this neighbor. And I'm not saying that that's a negative thing, right? I'm not saying that, hey, you're, you're doing bad with loving your neighbor. But just to say, if you don't know them, you should still love them, right? The interactions that you have with them should still be positive to say, hey, you know, I just, I first met the, my neighbor for the first time, and I was just trying to love them like Jesus might, right? To say, hey, you know, I, maybe I could mow your lawn sometime, or hey, you know, let me bring over a, a, a dish, a, a lunch dish for you sometime, or whatever else, um, right? Just to say, hey, I love you, neighbor. I love you, right? They might feel awkward if you said that out loud to them the first time you meet them, right? But just to say, hey, I care about you. I'm excited to, to be living next to you. And I'm, I'm called to love my neighbor as myself. But what's interesting is when Jesus is asked this question, what is the greatest law? Right? He says there, there are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. There are two, but both of them are foundationed by love. And they hold everything else together. Everything else is held together by love. And so, um, as we kind of get into the next section here um, with, with a few points, I first want to acknowledge and bring you in on the idea of the chair. So take a moment, whether you're in the room here or you're at home. If you're at home, I hope there's other chairs around, but just just look around a little bit. Look around for a few seconds, right? I don't see you doing it yet. Look around. Look around. What do you see? You see many, many chairs, right? 
And so one of the things it takes is for us to realize there are other people in this world. There are, other, there are chairs in here that are reserved for many, many more people. There are people who are occupying chairs in this room. So the first three sermons that we went through, right? It's kind of focused on, in on this idea of, of me and God and what it looks like. Right? I want to place God in the chair. I want to sit at his feet. And I want to lean on him. And then it takes us looking around to say, there are other people that exist. <laughs> and these other people are also maybe in that struggle to say, God, you're in my chair. Maybe they're struggling to sit down at Jesus' feet and say, I am following him, I am committed to him, and being a disciple of his. Maybe they're struggling to lean on God. Or maybe they're still working on their relationship with God, and so they don't even realize that, hey, there's other people out there that are in the same boat as I am. That, with the analogy of the chair, that's how I wanted to bring it in with this sermon. There are other people, and we interact with these people. We have relationships with these other people. And we are called to, yes, first and foremost, love our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, right? We're called to love Him, to build our relationship with God. But then we are also called to love our neighbor as ourselves. To look around and say, there are other people in other chairs, and I am called to love them, to devote myself to them, to humble myself, to serve them, to love them. Now the final few points here, right? So love is the foundation for living out transformed relationships. Love is the foundation for living out transformed relationships. Maybe you could say even that love is the cornerstone, right? Love is the centerpiece. It is, it is the thing that holds everything else together. I wanted to read um, a, verse, a few verses from uh, Colossians here. We've read this a few times, but I absolutely love this verse here. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then we get this. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. All these good virtues, all these things that might be listed in a a similar way to the fruits of the Spirit, right? All these things are great and wonderful, and you ought to clothe yourselves in them. But also, don't forget, above everything else, love one another. Love your neighbor. Because guess what? Love binds everything together. It holds everything else together. Love is that foundation, that cornerstone, that centerpiece. I'm not much of a table designer, but I know that to have a good-looking table... You must have a centerpiece that holds it all together, right? I know that part. So, Then the next point here. So if we are not living out transformed relationships, we are not living transformed lives. Right? If, we're, if we look at ourselves, and I, I kind of wonder a little bit if this was the conclusion that you came to, but if we look at ourselves and say, ah, oh, my relationship with God is just wonderful, it's great, it's just lovely. I, I read scripture. I pray all the time. I'm just so happy to be in relationship with God. But then all of your relationships with other people are messy and broken, and you're hurting other people. I'd be like, uh, you're missing the point here. Love is the foundation of, of everything that we do. 
whether it be loving God and building our relationship with him or loving others and building our relationship with others. In John, we get this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says it multiple times, love one another, love one another. And he says by this, by loving one another, by loving each other, people will know that you are my disciples. He doesn't say by, you know, going to church every week, by giving every week. Again, good things, good things, don't hear me wrong. But that's not what Jesus says, does he? He says no, by, by loving one another, by loving each other, that is how people will know. And if we struggle to love one another, then we're struggling to tell people, hey, we're living differently. Hey, we're different from the world. We would be struggling to do that. And that honestly has been a problem recently. Because people have looked at the church and said, they're not loving other people well. So it's not much different than the world, right? And so we ought to be working on it and saying, hey, this is what we're called to do. is to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And neighbor is a very general term, isn't it? Neighbor is a very general term. Loving other people. Loving other people. Transform relationships. Next point here. Transform relationships. They require care, effort, and hard work. But simply loving will put these things into motion. Right? If we're talking about simply transformed, being simply trans- transformed, talking about simple transformation, right? I completely understand that loving others, it takes care, it takes effort, it takes hard work, it takes time, it takes all these things. But also, I would tell you, you love someone, those things will naturally flow, right? You love someone, those things will naturally flow. I've seen on social media many times, again, social media, talking about romantic relationships here, right? Uh, Big surprise. But I've seen on social media a few times this idea. um, It it mainly comes from from women on social media, but to say if he wanted to, he would do it, right? Essentially, if he he actually cared about you in the way that he says he, he does, he would do the things that are lacking in the relationship, right? And you look at that and you think, probably a lot going on there that I don't understand about this relationship, but nonetheless, right, if you actually love someone and care for someone, those things are going to start to naturally flow. Doing the things are going to naturally flow. And that's why earlier in the sermon series we talked about this idea of, hey, guess what, you know, um, just purely doing the things because they're the right things to do It's not the full story. Because without the foundation of love, it's just doing the actions that we know are what we're supposed to do without any love or care within them. And so at some point, that's going to break down. But if we say, I have the foundation of love, and not the love that we we think of within media and social media of, oh, the the butterflies and the nerves and all that stuff, and it's exciting but the love that says, I'm looking at myself with sober judgment and I'm devoting myself to you humbly to serve you and love you. Not love the feeling, but love the action. Those things will flow naturally. 
right? And yes, one of the biggest ways we see that is through marriage. And I wanted to bring up this verse because this verse is, these verses that I'm going to read next are often used in weddings. And I know some Christians that absolutely are you know, just completely put off by that because they're like, it's not about marriage. It's just about love in general. And I'm like, well, yes, but it also pertains to marriage, doesn't it? So we're going to read that First Corinthians here. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Now, if we look at a relationship where that is completely 100% true, that is how God loves us, isn't it? God always protects us. God is always there for us, right? That love that we share with God, right? We should always be trusting Him, always hoping in Him, having hope to say, I know that God has the future taken care of, right? It might be hard, but I trust Him and I hope in Him. I'm going to persevere because of Him. But when we look at these verses, we we see that love is hard work. Love is hard work, but we're still called to do it in our relationships. We're still called to love others. One of the things that I'm convinced of in this misunderstanding that, that our culture has with love is love in our culture is always seemingly self-seeking. To say, how am I being served by this relationship? How am I, um, you know, getting what I need from this relationship, this friendship? But in reality, love is, how can I serve this person? How can I love this person that I'm in relationship with? And when that really, really works is when both people are saying that about each other. To say, hey, we both want to serve each other and love each other in this relationship. That is when things just are beautiful and wonderful. When that breaks down on one end or both ends, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And we're always working on that with each other, aren't we? As friends, as, as, as spouses, as um, neighbors, Right? We're always working on those things. But simply, if we come to the end here, simply, love never fails. And we lead that into that God desires for us to love. God desires for us to love. There are a few times when I practiced this sermon where I slipped into my normal everyday um, Jack talk, right? Not to say I'm two different people when I'm on stage and not on stage, but I, I say man a lot or dude a lot. Um, when I'm speaking on a day-to-day basis. And so I was like, we just got to love, man, you know, that kind of talk. Um, and I would slip into that every once in a while. And I think it's true. <laughs> we just got to love, man, you know. We just got to love each other. I know that's a lot simpler, a lot easier said than none, but that's what we're called to do, to say, hey, I love you. And that's to each and every person that we, that we meet, right? Maybe we don't make them feel awkward. We first meet them and say, hey, I, I love you, Right? But just to say, I am devoted to you. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I'm going to humble myself before you so that I can serve and love you in the ways that Jesus would. In the ways that Jesus would. So yes, God desires for us to love. Now as we move forward, I have a few uh, next steps for you. If this sounds like something that you want to get on board with to say, hey, 
I want to join in on this, this idea of, of loving others in the way that Jesus would, that I invite you um, maybe to come forward and give your life to Jesus if you're being led to do just that. Um, you can come forward and we can chat about that as we sing our final song. Um, for talking about being in relationship, right? Join a small group or a service team. These are wonderful ways to um, join in on relationships with others in the church and to acknowledge where we're all gifted differently at and how we can interact with each other. You can also sign up for a Connect class. Um, that is a, a place where you might um, you'll sit down over lunch with Pastor Matt and he'll just discuss with you kind of some of the things that we believe in this church and that we teach and, and how we operate and some of the things about church history and all those different wonderful things just to help you understand a little bit more about Turner Christian Church and way where we are at. Now, um, as we uh, ponder those things and maybe some things from the sermon, I invite you to stand as we sing our final song.